ببطن أمه أربعين يوما نطفة ثم يكون علقة ثم يكون علقة مثل ذلك ثم يكون مضغة مثل ذلك ثم يرسل إليه الملك فينفخ فيه الروح ويؤمر بأربع كلمات بكتب رزقه وأجله وعمله وشقي أو سعيد فوالذي لا إله غيره إن أحدكم لا يعمل بعمل أهل الجنة حتى ما يكون بينه وبينها إلا ذراع فيسبق عليه الكتاب فيعمل بعمل أهل النار فيدخلها وإن أحدكم لا يعمل بعمل أهل النار حتى ما يكون بينه وبينها إلا ذراع فيسبق عليه الكتاب فيعمل بعمل أهل الجنة فيدخلها رواه البخاري ومسلم Alhamdulillah we're continuing with the 40 hadith of Imam al-Nawawi These 40 hadith which is as we mentioned previously alayha madarul islam these are those concepts or those fundamental you know principles around which islam revolves or upon which islam is built and previously we spoke about the five pillars how we know that these five pillars are the integrals and the necessary obligatory aspects of the faith anybody who is missing any aspects of those things right is missing an aspect of his deen his deen is incomplete the one who misses the shahada is like the one who doesn't have the center pillar or post of that tent and the one who's missing any of those ropes is that that aspect of that that part of the tent has been collapsed in and is deficient obviously so we understood that how that is a fundamental teachings of Islam. We can see now, as we are reading these ahadith, how each one of the hadiths, if you were to explain to somebody who was learning about Islam, or you explain to somebody who wants to know what Islam is, each one of these hadith in and of itself can be explanatory to explain or to define a very important aspect of our religion. Hadith number four is... A very amazing hadith. Every one of these hadith are amazing. And the words of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, if you ponder over them, and if you think about them, how profound these words are. And I don't think we can really, really appreciate the depth of it if you don't know Arabic. But when, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, وَمَا يَنْطِقُ عَنِ الْهَوَى He does not speak of his own desire. إِنْ هُوَ إِلَّا وَحْيُ يُوحَى It is but a revelation. That is revealed to him. Obviously, this is talking about the Quran. This is talking about the Quran. Anything that he speaks, in other words, the you know the, the words of the Quran that he speaks is but a revelation. But there are some ahadith which even the Prophet ﷺ said, "Inna Jibril Jibril inspired or breathed into my heart, and then he mentions a hadith. Inna nafsan lanta that no soul shall die until his risk has been completed. This is a hadith. He said, Jibreel inspired. I mean, so every, even the ahadith of the Prophet, we know that we call it wahi khafi. Wahi is revelation. Khafi means something that is lesser, something that is minor. And the Quran is called wahi jali. Not jalil, jali. Jim lam ya shadda. Wahyun jali wa wahyun khafi. Wahyun jali is Quran. Yani clear, explicit, open, 
revelation that is recited in our salawat and written in the mushaf wahy jali and the ulama call hadith wahy khafi the lesser revelation can you imagine this is a very very powerful statement this is the this is the aqidah of ahlus sunnah wal jamaah that we call quran wahy jali and we call hadith wahy khafi it's important for every muslim to know this that when you are denying the hadith you in actuality are de- de- denying a portion of revelation you know revelation revealed something being revealed something being inspired to the prophet and where the proof for this is as is mentioned by a statement of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam ala wa inni utitu alqur'ana wa mithlahu ma'ahu verily i have been given this quran and i have been given the likes of this quran the likes of it in 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 legislation the lights likes of it in authority the likes of it in its uh, guidance and its direction so this is one of those profound amazing hadiths which explain many things so let's go into it inshallah al hadith al rabi' the fourth hadith from the 40 hadith of imam an-nawawi is narrated by abu abdul rahman what is Abu Abdul Rahman? This is a kunya, the father of Abdul Rahman. So Imam al-Nawawi, when mentioning the narrators of the hadith, what he does is he always mentions the kunya. Kunya means Abu so-and-so. Kunya amongst the Arabs is a term of respect. Padara filani. Abu fulan. This is a term of respect. This is a term of honor. So for example, your eldest child, whoever that is, you will be called by that person, which is an honor for you. Right? For example, we know that Umar is Abu Hafs, the father of Hafsa. But he has many other children. Why is he known as Abu Hafs? Because Hafsa was the wife of Rasulullah, Ummul Mu'mineen. So Abu Hafs, Umar ibn Khattab. Abu Hafs, Umar ibn Khattab. Right. And uh, Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, Abu Abdul Rahman, An Abi Abdul Rahman, narrated from the father of Abdul Rahman, Abdullah is his name, Mas'ud was the name of his father, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud. Who is this Abdullah ibn Mas'ud? He is Hudali. He is from the tribe of Banu Hudayl. They are called Hudali. Yani Qurayshi. They were the type of, uh, a, a, a branch of the Quraysh. Aslama qadiman bi Makkah. So Imam Nawawi, in the beginning of every hadith, wants you to know the narrators. He wants you to know who is the one who's narrating the hadith. It's a very, to know who's the narrating the hadith is kind of the key to the hadith. And many times I've said some hadith about akhlaq, and about character and not getting angry is narrated by certain Sahaba. Because the Prophet was, they were known to be, have a little bit of more strict or more harsh temperament. So knowing the Sahabi who narrates the Hadith is the key to understanding the Hadith. This is a, these are little small things that we don't think, oh, uh, Abu Huraira narrated and, uh, uh, and Abu Zar narrated and Abu Darda narrated. No, there's a story. Because if you know the akhlaq of the Sahabi, you know that, oh, this was, a, this was an advice to this companion. 
It's a very famous. Abu Dhar Ghifari was known, for example, I'm just giving you a kind of like a, how do you say, uh, uh, an insight why it's important to know the narrator of the hadith. Some people, they just read it and just go. Read it and go, and they don't give any attention that there's a, there's a commentary of the hadith in knowing who's the narrator who narrates it. The secret of the hadith is in that. So an interesting thing, you will see that in the narrator of a hadith, the rawi al-hadith, what will you find? The secret behind that hadith. The secret behind that hadith. And what is the secret? For example, Abu Dhar Ghifari radiallahu anhu, he was known that before Islam, he was Qutta' al-Tariq. Kana qati al-Tariq. Sayyidina Abu Dhar al-Ghifari. Kana qati al-Tariq. He was a very adventurous person. He was a very shuja' person. And he would hide, you know, in the roadside. And when the caravan would come, he would attack the caravan all by himself. And he was from the tribe of Banu Ghifar, which was known to be like gangster and type of like rough and tumble type people. The tribe of Banu Ghifar. To such an extent that his story, I mean, this is why I'm saying is like, I'm going off topic, but I'm telling you that the Rawil Hadith is the key to understanding the Hadith. So here, Imam al Nawawi, for example, says, An Abi Abdul Rahman, Abdullah ibn Mas'udin. So he mentions the kunya, and then he mentions the name and the father's name. There's a, there's a sir in this. There's a secret because the, the, the key sometimes to understanding the hadith is knowing the rawi. So, for example, Abu Dhar al Ghifari, some of the ahadith is narrated that, you know, Kullu ma'rufin sadaqa, wa amrun bil ma'rufi sadaqa, wa kaza wa kaza sadaqa, wa ptisamuka fi wajhi akhika sadaqa, that, you know, giving charity is sadaqa, smiling. So Abu, Abu Zar Ghifari, he says. And this is the hadith of Abu Zar. So if you don't know the personality, you don't know what the purpose of the hadith is. So Abu Zar says, what if I can't smile? Now you understand, right? What if I can't do any good? Right? He says, أَن صَانِعًا أَوْ تَصْنَعُ لِأَخْرَقَ this part of sadaqah, that you should help somebody who's doing something. Yasna. You should help somebody doing something. Somebody doesn't know how to do anything. He doesn't have a creativity. He doesn't, he's not a crafty person. The person who doesn't know any craftsmanship. He said, what if I can't do that? He said, then withhold your harm. Withhold your harm from someone because even withholding your harm from someone is a sadaqah. Now, subhanAllah, this hadith is very general. It seems general. But if you see who is the narrator, Abu Dhar al-Ghifari, you understand there's, a, there's something in there. Right? There's a personality of that companion. There's the attitude of that specific person. You'll notice another thing. A lot of the ahadith التي تتعلق بأحوال الشخصية بأحوال الزوجية والبيتية You see some things that have to do with internal marital issues or matters of the home أم سلمة عائشة صديقة جويرية رضي الله عنهن They are all the women 
And in this is another point, right? That if people were to be making up a hadith, faking a hadith, how would they, you know, they would not take these. I mean, if you kind of look with diqqa, you look a little bit more further, people are, because this is what they say, people who don't accept hadith, they try to say that these things are made up. And, but if you see the logic that's behind it, none of the personal matters of the Prophet are narrated by men. These personal matters are not narrated by men about ghusl of the Prophet, about the private matters of the Prophet, about cleaning the clothes of the Prophet. This is all narrated by the females of the, of the home. Do you see what I'm saying? And many of the matters of outside, they're narrated by com- companions who were with the Prophet Anyways, so the shurrah of the arba'een of Imam al-Nawawi, the shurrah of the books of hadith, they make a point of talking about the manaqib or the manqaba of that specific companion, the, 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 the biography of that specific companion, because there is something in it. So this is a, just a, 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 a quick tip of fahmul hadith, that if you look at the narrator, it gives you a lot of insight into understanding a hadith. And if I, if I go on, this is a whole discussion in and of itself. This is a very enjoyable thing, that if you actually go through the ahadith, you will look who is the narrator, you'll find a lot of kind of underlying commentary, underlying more discussions within that, when you see the personality in the background of the companion. Anyways, so Abdullah ibn Mas'ud was Hudali, and he from the tribe of Banu Hudayl. Aslama qadiman bi Makkah. And he was from the right sabiqun al awwalun min al muhajirin. Ruya annahu qal ra'aytuni sadisa sitta. If you were to see me, I was the sixth of six Muslims. I was the sixth one from among six people who had accepted Islam. Ma ala wajhil ardi muslimun gayruna. There was no other Muslim other than us. Us six people. Can you imagine from what time Abdullah ibn Mas'ud had accepted Islam? Hajara ila al-Habasha, thumma ila al-Madina. He was a muhajir twice. He was a muhajir of Habasha, and he was a muhajir of Medina. We know that the Muslims, the first Darul Hijrah was Abyssinia. And the second Darul Hijrah was Medina. So there was two Hijras actually in Islam. And those who made the two hijras, their maqam from amongst the sahaba were very superior. From amongst them was Usman ibn Affan radiallahu anhu. From amongst them was Abdullah ibn Masood radiallahu anhu. From amongst them was Jafar ibn Abi Talib, Jafar al-Tayyar radiallahu ta'ala anhum. Right? He says, وَشَهِدَ بَدْرًا شَهِدَ بَدْرًا When you hear this manqaba, that this sahabi shahida badran. He is from amongst a very, very special group of companions, 313 only, who were shahidu badran. And badr is something that no one who has the manqaba of being in badr, from amongst the sahaba, those who had badr, they were of a completely different category. In the sight of Allah, the Prophet ﷺ said, those of you who have witnessed Badr, it doesn't matter what you do after this. Khalas. Do whatever you want to do. It doesn't matter what you do after this. You've done such an amal. You've fulfilled such a, like, uh, uh, 
you know, a, a responsibility that in Islam, after this, it doesn't matter what you do. This is, this is the people of Badr. This is the maqam of the people of Badr. This was the, 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 the crucial, you know, strategic point of the battle of Badr in the side of, in, 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 in Islam and in the side of the Prophet ﷺ. A Badri Sahaba was not comparable to anybody else. So Badr was mentioned. So that's why they say, Shahida Badran wal Mashahida Kullaha. Yani ikhtasa Badran bil 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 Badr was mentioned separately in mentioning it because the people of Badr has a different complete maqam and status. Wal Mashahida Kullaha and all the other Mashahid, yani all the other battles. He did not miss a single battle. He did not miss Badr and he did not miss a single battle with the Prophet. And up on top of that, Shahida Bay'at al-Ridwan. He was in Bay'at al-Ridwan. Those people who they gave an oath to the Prophet that they will fight with him till the death. Right? As Allah Ta'ala says, لَقَدْ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنِ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ إِذْ يُبَايِعُونَكَ تَحْتَ الشَّجَرَةِ فَعَلِمَ مَا فِي قُلُوبِهِمْ فَأَنزَلَ السَّكِينَةَ عَلَيْهِمْ Allah Ta'ala says, لَقَدْ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنِ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ إِذْ يُبَايِعُونَكَ تَحْتَ الشَّجَرَةِ Allah Ta'ala is pleased with those companions when they made bay'ah with you under the tree. This is Bay'atul Ridwan. And Sayyidina Abdullah Masood was from amongst them. وَصَلَّ بِالْقِبْلَتَيْنِ And he prayed towards both qiblas. In other words, he was praying with the Prophet when they were facing qibla of Jerusalem, and he was with the Prophet when they prayed towards the Qibla of Makkah. وَكَانَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَمْ يُكْرِمُهُ وَيُقَرِّبُهُ وَلَا يَحْجُبُهُ And the Prophet would honor him, and the Prophet would bring him near, and the Prophet would not, you know, expel him. He would not, not allow him to come. He, would, oh, he never had hijab from Abdullah Masood. To such an extent, people thought, they said, they thought about me that I was part of the Prophet's family. وَكَانَ ابْنُ مَسْعُودَ كَثِيرًا يَدْخُلُ عَلَيْهِ The Prophet would always enter the Prophet's house and they say that he did not need permission to enter the house of the Prophet How that was, maybe the women were on that side and he, but he did not need to, t- to knock on the door. That's who Abdullah ibn Mas'ud was. وَإِذَا قَامَ يُلْبِسُهُ نَعَلَيْهِ When the Prophet would get up Sayyidina Abdullah al-Masood would bring the, the sandals of the Prophet and put it on his feet. وَإِذَا جَلَسَ أَدْخَلَهُمَا فِي ذِرَاعِيهِ And when the Prophet would sit, he would take it and then he would put the sandals of the Prophet in his hands. You know, like a little kid. He would keep the sandals of the Prophet in his hands. يُلْبِسُهُ فِي ذِرَاعِيهِ He would put it in his hands like this. You know, when sometimes kids play around, like they, they, he, used to put, he used to put the... Sandals of the Prophet in his hands like this. وَكَانَ يَمْشِي مَعَهُ وَبَيْنَ يَدَيْهِ He would walk with the Prophet and he would walk sometimes in front of him holding the cane of the Prophet وَيَسْتُرُهُ إِذَا اغْتَسَلَ And he would shade or he would, he would veil the Prophet. He would cover the Prophet when the Prophet would make ghusl. Like when they would be out in the, in the wilderness and the Prophet needed ghusl, he would cover the Prophet and uh, curtain him. وَيُوْخِذُهُ إِذَا نَامَ And he would wake him up when he would go to sleep. 
وكان معروفا في الصحابة بأنه صاحب سر رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم and he was famous amongst the Sahaba he was known to be صاحب سر رسول الله he was the carrier of the secrets of the Prophet وسواكه وصاحب سواك رسول الله and he was the one who would carry the maswak of the Prophet ووسادته and his pillow وطهوره في السفر and also preparing his wudu on a journey وروي في بعض طرق حديث العشرة المبشرة بالجنة أنه أحدهم and in one of the some of the ahadith of the ashara المبشرة سيدنا عبد الله بن مسعود was mentioned that he was one of them يعني for amongst the ashara المبشرة بالجنة he was also to be one of them also it was mentioned about him أعلم الصحابة بعد خلفاء الراشدين he was the most knowledgeable of the Sahaba after the Khulafai Rashidin. And also about him, Sayyidina Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu anhu, when the city of Kufa was established, Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anhu sent Abdullah ibn Mas'ud to Kufa as a governor, you can say as somebody who is taking care of the matters of the people in Kufa. When Sayyidina Ali ibn Abi Talib, you can see between the two Khulafa, from Umar, then Usman, then Ali. When Ali radiallahu went to visit Kufa just to check in what's going on, he said, Rahimallahu ibn Ummi Abd, may Allah be pleased with Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, that he has filled Kufa with, with fiqh and knowledge. He has filled Kufa with knowledge and wisdom. And as we know, when we talk about the Hanafi Madhab, the Hanafi Madhab, or the Shafi'i Madhab, or the Maliki, or the Hanbali Madhab, these Madhab, they're just actually preservation or codification of the schools of the Sahaba and the companions. So what Abdullah ibn Mas'ud did was he actually established the Madrasatul Kufiyya of the Fuqa'a or Fuqahab Hanafiyya who came later on, right? As the Sanad of Imam Wanifa actually goes from uh, Abdullah Masood to, I believe, Ikrama, to Aswad, to Ibrahim Nakhai, to Hamad ibn Abi Sulaiman, to Abu Hanifa, rahimahullah ta'ala. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa said about Abdullah ibn Masood, رَضِيتُ لِأُمَّتِ مَا رَضِيَ لَهَا إِبْنُ أُمِّ عَبْدِ I am pleased for my ummah, for what Abdullah ibn Masood is pleased for my ummah. In other words, you can see the, the maqam of certain companions. So amongst the companions, they were fuqaha. And amongst the companions, they were more general lay people. You can see that Abdullah ibn Mas'ud was definitely from amongst those who are from the fuqaha of the sahaba, the ulama of the sahaba. The Prophet also said about Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, مَنْ أَحَبَّ أَنْ يَقْرَأَ الْقُرْآنَ غَضًّا كَمَا أُنزِلْ فَلْيَقْرَأَ عَلَىٰ قِرَاءَةِ ibnu Ummi Abd. Anybody who wants to recite the Qur'an fresh, just like it was revealed, then let him learn the Qur'an from Abdullah ibn Mas'ud. Full, full surahs. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud learned from the Prophet's mouth. Entire, entire surahs. So we know that many Sahaba, they learned from the other Sahaba. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud learned from the mouth of the Prophet himself. And he says, any ayah of the Qur'an that you ask about, I know where it was revealed, I know how it was revealed, I know when it was revealed, was it day or night, was it summer or winter? Was it journey or not journey? Was it on safar? I knew in every situation, however the Qur'an was recited, any ayah of the Qur'an you ask me, I know about it. And he said, if I know that somebody knows more than me in Qur'an, I would go to him. But I don't know anybody who knows more than me. Yeah, that's his humbleness. 
Abu Musa Ash'ari, who is Abu Musa Ash'ari? One of the Qaris, one of the Qurra. He says, لا تسألوني ما دام هذا الحبر فيكم. Don't ask me any questions as long as this scholar is amongst you. How are you asking me? Abu Musa Ash'ari. Abu Musa Ash'ari was said by the Prophet, لَقَدْ أُوْتِيْتَ مِزْمَارًا مِنْ مَزَامِيرِ آلِ دَاوُدْ Oh Abu Musa Ash'ari, you have been given the voice like from the voice of the family of Dawood When Dawood used to recite the Zabur, they say the birds and the mountain and everything would echo with him, as is mentioned in the Quran. He said about Abu Musa Ash'ari, that you've been given the, from the voice of the family of Dawood So he says, Abu Musa is saying about Lord, don't ask me. When he's here, don't ask me any questions. Subhanallah. He passed away in Medina Munawwara in the year 32 Hijri, and he was 60-some years old, and he was buried in Jannah al-Baqi. So this was, subhanallah, uh, about Sayyidina Abdullah al Masood. He narrates 848 ahadith from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. 848 ahadith. So he narrates this hadith that حدثنا رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم والصادق المصدوق and he is the one who is true and Allah Ta'ala has said that he is true what does he say إن أحدكم يجمع خلقه في بطن أمه أربعين يوما نطفة Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala gathers a human being in the womb of the mother as a نطفة as a drop of fluid for 40 days in this state for 40 days ثم يكون علقة مثل ذلك then in the womb of the mother, after another 40 days, it remains like a blood clot. Like a clot of blood. Then after another 40 days, it becomes like a chewed piece of flesh after that. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends an angel, the angel that is deputed to be uh, the angel that is deputed to be uh, investing the soul and the ruh inside of that fetus, of that child. And that angel is commanded to declare his risk and his, uh, his uh, apportioned time on this earth and his deeds and whether he is wretched or whether he is fortunate. This is also from the miracles of Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. There is a book that I recommend that you all should read, which is called The Bible, the Quran, and Science by Professor Maurice Bukai. This professor was a professor of embryology and a professor of, you can say, um, the fetus, how the child in the womb of the mother grows. And uh, he came upon the Quran, and he's a French, French professor at the university in Paris, the University of Sorbonne, Sorbonne University. He came across the Quran, and this ayat karima, where Allah Ta'ala says that Allah Ta'ala keeps that it's first like a drop of fluid, and then Allah Ta'ala makes it like a clot of blood and then it becomes like a chewed piece of flesh and then Allah Ta'ala makes it like a mixed creation and then after that Allah Ta'ala gives it a complete and makes it a complete human being. So when this professor 
uh, Maurice Bukai, he said, this cannot be except from the creator of the heavens and the earth. No human being could know this. Muhammad from 1400 years ago, how did he know? Did he have a telescope? He said, embryology was invented in the 1950s and 60s with ultrasound. How is it that a man from the desert, that he could have known this, and we know that this is not just written now, they didn't just put this in the Quran when, you know, in 1950s when the ultrasound and all this technology started coming about. This has been preserved for 1400 years, this, this words, these words. And this cannot be from a man, no matter how educated he could have been from that time. And we know that he was not educated. He could not read or write. He was Nabi al-Ummi. He was the unlettered prophet. And these words emanated from him, Allahu Akbar. This is one of the miracles of Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So this is the first and foremost thing that this hadith reminds us. That 40 days, this arba'ina yawman teaches us another point that 40 days is something by which a complete cycle of perfection or cycle of change takes place within the creation of human beings. From this hadith, the scholars and the mashayikh and the you know, uh, uh, scholars of tasawwuf and the scholars of you know, ilmun nafs, they have taken this that if a person wants to rectify themselves, change something about themselves, for 40 days they should do something, after 40 days that thing becomes a habit. If a person, for 40 days, he wakes up at 4 a.m. in the morning and he makes a habit, after that 40 days, 4 a.m. your eyes will wake up automatically. You won't need to put an alarm clock if you practice this. If a person takes a walk for 40 days every day, for 40 days, and you do for a one month, but this 40 days is mentioned because even in the womb of the mother, it, the approximately 40 days there's a change that comes about. Subhanallah. And this is from the miracle. Again, these are all from the miracles of Rasulullah. How could he have known? Did he have like did he have measuring tools or did he how, how could this he could have known this? So this is we can, we only know this through wahi and revelation. And this is one of the signs of his nubuat and his prophethood. Anyways, that yani tawrun mutakamila, right? You that that tawr that takes place, the atwar. Right? The revolutions, the change that takes place where you, know, uh, uh, you, know, you go from one stage of creation to the next stage of creation, that continues with human beings even in this life, even in this world, through acquiring good habits or acquiring bad habits. If a person does that, they will instill within themselves these good qualities or bad qualities. And in the womb of the mother, similarly, this uh, uh, also takes place. Imam al-Qurtubi says, an interesting thing, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can create us kun fayakun. Why did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala do 40 days and 40 days and 40 days? What is the wisdom? What's the philosophy or the concept why did Allah do this? So what the ulama say, Al-hikmatu fi ta'khiri kullim minha arba'ina yawman ayya'tadahu rahim Is so the woman's or the mother's womb and stomach can get used to this. That if 
that child were in an instant to grow, how much pain and suffering would that mother go through? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made that tadrij, gradual growth, so that the mother can slowly, slowly get used to it and comfortably, right, that child can grow in the womb of the mother, subhanallah. لِأَنَّهُ لَوْ خُلِقَ دَفْعَةً وَاحِدًا لَشَقَّ ذَلِكَ عَلَى that if this would become immediate creation, this would be so painful upon the mother. And so much you know, worry, and you know, uh, she would become scared, and she would be terrified that what's happening to me. Some, subhanallah, it's so latif, and it's so khafif, the, the way that the, right, the, 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 the child grows in the womb is sometimes the mother doesn't even know. She might not even know that she is, you know, with child. This is the lutf of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Otherwise, imagine the growth and the creation of a creature inside of you, how scary that can be and how difficult that can be. وَأَيْضًا فِيهِ إِظْهَارُ آثَارِ قُدْرَةِ اللَّهِ تَعَالَى وَإِشْعَارُ إِكْثَارِ نِعْمَتِهِ عَلَىٰ عَبِيدِهِ لِيَعَبُدُوهُ وَاشْكُرُوا لَهُ عَلَىٰ جَمِيلِ نِعَمِهِ and this also shows, right, the power of Allah Ta'ala, the qudra of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. You know, there was a you know, friend who said, I used to doubt about the existence of God, but when I had my child, and I seen how that child grows in the womb of the mother, and I saw how that child comes to existence in this world, I know that this, this is only from a, a, a greater creator that can do this. This is not something normal from this world. How a human being grows out of another human being from a drop of fluid. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us, Alam mahin. Did I not create you from this drop of fluid? And in that drop of fluid was this human being? It's unbelievable. Only the khalaqul alim, the masterful creator can do something like that. Subhanallah. This is so we can see the qudra of Allah Azza wa Jal. We see how it grows and we see how it comes into existence. And the mouth of the child is closed. And the food that is entering into the child is from this pipe. A pipe created from flesh. Think about this. I mean, it's mind-boggling. How could you deny the Creator? This pipe, it's created from flesh and the mouth it doesn't breathe from the mouth. How is this? It's breathing and it's getting nourishment from this pipe that goes through it to the mother. And then when the child is born, it doesn't need the pipe anymore. It's un... un I mean, nobody thinks. Nobody even ponders that this is the greatest... People say, show me where is God. You want to say, this is, look at this. What it can be a greater miracle that this... How can this happen? How can this be if there wasn't a greater... The great and designer... Who has done this? So Allah Ta'ala is showing His Qudra. And then Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala entrusts the angel and this angel will then right, blow the spirit. And from this we understand, as we mentioned previously, there are five lives of men. Imam Al-Haddad has a book especially talking about this five lives of men. The life of insan before he came into this world was called Alamul Arwah. Alamul Arwah, where Allah Ta'ala created all the souls. From that Alam, 
the soul is taken and brought into the womb of the mother, which is the second alam. And that's, right? Alam batn al-um. That is another world. So we came from alam al-arwah to alam al right? Alam al-rahim. That is a, a complete alam on its own in which this is happening. The command of Allah Azza wa Jal. The spirit is being blown into that child. After four months and ten days, that actually the, 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 the angel comes and he blows that spirit. He takes that spirit that is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he invests it inside of that fetus. First, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes the structure of that child. And then after that, Allah sends that angel. And the angel, you can say, invests that body with the ruh from him. Subhanallah. And then we are in this world. That's the third alam. Alam al-dunya. And then we leave this world. And then we go into the world between this life and the hereafter. That's alam al-barzakh. Baynahuma barzakhul la yabghiyan. Barzakh is a barrier between two places. So there's a dunya called barzakh. Baynahuma barzakhul la yabghiyan. So the, 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 the alam barzakh is a barrier. So we don't call it alam al-qabr. Some people, they don't have qabr. Some people don't have cover. Some people might die in a plane accident. Their body explodes. Some people might drown in the ocean, eaten up by fish. Where's your cover? So it's not called alam al qabr. It's called alam al barzakh. Wherever your ruh is in that alam, whatever punishment or reward or ni'mah or niqmah, it comes in that barzakh. That's the fourth world, which is bayna dunya wal akhirah. And then it's alam al akhirah. And then is alam al-akhirah. Right? So this hadith is specifically speaking about our situation in this dunya, in this world. That is why our sisters who are in a state of pregnancy and our parents who are expecting children, this is a very careful stage of the life of the child. You should not feed the child haram when it is in this dunya. Right? Many mothers who recite Qur'an Many mothers who recite, you know, dhikr, and many mothers who, you know, they're involved in a'mal salihah and righteous deeds and prayers and dua when the child is in the womb. That child that comes out is affected by all of those good things. And that mother, you know, the smoking and drinking and drugs, you know, all these other evil things. The child that comes, they're born with the heroin addiction. Child is born with heroin addiction. Child is born with all these different other tendencies because these are the evil things that are going on and the child is being exposed to in the womb. And that is why they say, you know, a woman in that state, she should not be depressed, she should not be sad, she should listen to good things, she should see beautiful things, she should recite Quran, she should be in good... Because all of that, because the child is in that world, it will affect that child. So these are all things that parents... Mothers and fathers should take into consideration. And yu'maru bi arba'i. And then the, the angel from whatever is written in lawhi mahfuz, the angel is now commanded to proclaim this in the womb. Right? Four things. Right? Four things. 
And these things, what are they? Bikatbi rizqi. His risk, how much he's going to acquire in the life of this world of sustenance. Wa ajali, how long he's going to live in this world. There was a janazah that we went today, and it seemed like the, the father passed away very suddenly, and the son was going through a lot of difficulty. I said, Look at what Allah says in the Quran. Right? Look at what Allah Ta'ala says. Ida ja'a ajaluhum la yastakhiruna sa'atan wa la yastakdimun. When the ajal comes, when your appointed time comes, then you cannot delay that and you cannot hasten that. That appointed time of departure is written for everyone. You know like you have a ticket for a plane ticket? It says departure, 3.30. SubhanAllah. This hadith is reminding us that our departure is already written. Unknown. Unknown. So that nobody should say, so that nobody should say, that, oh, he died so fast. Oh, he died, he, you know, he died before his time. So sometimes people say this. He died before his time. He had 50... Who, who told you that? This is written in the womb of the mother. His sustenance is written. Oh, he stole his risk. Nobody can steal anybody's risk. Subhanallah. I remember one time, you know, we were in a place, we missed our flight, and when we missed that flight, we didn't know, we, you know, somebody we called, they said, oh, yeah, no problem, you can stay at my house. And then, you know, he was saying, oh, tonight, you know, I get these special steaks. And who knew that you're going to come? I got these special steaks ordered. And, and I was like, subhanAllah, our sustenance and our risk was written to eat that. We had to miss our flight because this was written for us. That what you eat, nobody can take away your risk. Nobody can take away your sustenance. Nobody can take the food that you pull out the food from somebody's mouth. Nobody can do that for you. That's written. Yani, to such an extent that yani, this is our iman. This is our belief that that which was written for you, you would leave some place, but no, I missed my flight and I had to go. That steak, that kebab was in my nasib. <laughs> I, I had to get that. There was no way I had to miss that. I couldn't have been missing that. And then th th that's what the brother said. He said, Subhanallah, Shaykh, that one steak was your nasib. Where that was, where the bichara cow was living, maybe the cow was somewhere in Texas, and then the steak ended up in Chicago, or wherever it ended up. You know what I mean? But that, can you imagine that that specific thing was selected for you, that you have to eat that, and you have to be at this. This is all in the sir, and the plan, and the decree of Allah that we cannot even fathom what it is. This is in the, the, the decree that we cannot fathom and we cannot know. And everything that you are going to do, Allah Ta'ala has written it because Allah has infinite knowledge. Allah knows exactly what we are going to do and He wrote it down the way that we are going to choose. That I know because Allah Ta'ala knows His knowledge is infinite and He wrote in the Lawhi Mahfuz exactly as we are going to do. And he wrote that down because nothing can happen without Allah's plan. He, ha he knows and he wrote it down. And whether we are wretched or we are fortunate. So one of you will be from the people of Jannah and they will not be between you and Jannah except one hand span. This is a dhira. From the tip of the finger to the elbow is one zira, cubit. 
So the Prophet says, I swear by the one in whose there is no God but him, you will do the people. You will be apparently doing the amal of the people of paradise until you're one hand span away from actually entering. And then what happens? But suddenly, you change. You start doing the actions of the people of the fire and you fall into the hellfire. Ibn Hajar explains this. That this can happen to some people. That they are doing the people of the actions of the people of paradise. Right? And because of the fact that this person did not have sincerity, the fact that this person did not have, you know, uh, good intentions, right? As we know, shaitan. What a perfect example for this. Shaitan was doing the actions of the people of paradise. He was worshipping Allah. He was making sujood. He was praying. And he was very he was considered Mu'allimul Malaika, as is mentioned in some riwayat. And then what happens? All of a sudden his you know evil intention that was in his heart, his kibr, his ujub, it manifested itself and he became from the people of the fire. So the beautiful thing that Ibn Hajar says this happens very rarely. Because whatever a person does throughout their life, that is what they are going to die upon. Right? إِنَّكُمْ تَمُوتُونَ عَلَى مَا تَحْيَوْنَ Right? You die upon what you lived. If you lived with piety, inshallah, you will die with piety. If you lived with la ilaha illallah, you will die with la ilaha illallah. Right? But sometimes, he's saying, وَالْمُرَادُ أَنَّ هَذَا قَدْ يَقَعُ فِي نَادِرٍ مِّنَ النَّاسِ this can happen. And why this is important for us to understand? So that we don't judge anyone. Look at what a beautiful thing Mullah Ali Qari mentions here. He says, He says, this hadith is telling us that don't ever be fooled by what you see people doing on their external. Right? A person will be doing the actions of the people of paradise until he's one hand span away from paradise. And then what happens? He starts doing the actions of the hellfire and he falls right into hellfire. Even though externally you saw that this person was a man of Jannah. Like shaitan. What, look at what Mullah Ali Qari says. Al-hikmatu fi ikhfa'i al-qadiyyati. Ayyu'lam ibrat So you don't give any consideration to a person's external. Oh, look at how pious he is. Oh, look at how much he's praying. Oh, look at how much he's doing like this. We don't know. Don't ever judge somebody that this person is jannati. This person will go to jannah. Because you don't know what the end result of somebody will be. This is what this hadith is teaching us. He says, do not be deceived by external actions, but do not become hopeless from the mercy of Allah. Don't be hopeless of the mercy of Allah just because you see somebody there doing something bad. A lot of us do this. 
Subhanallah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgave a prostitute. Allah forgave a prostitute. She, the dog was licking the ground out of thirst. And the prostitute came. She was known. She was hated by people. She was looked down by people. And she said, look at this poor dog. She took off her shoe and she put it inside the well and gave the dog water to drink. Allah forgave her just because of that. This is the mercy of Allah. This hadith teaches us, don't judge people just because outside or externally. We don't know what their end could be. That person is doing, and we see that prostitute is doing the amal of the people of the hellfire. But what happened? She is overwhelmed, right, by Allah Ta'ala's mercy. And then what happens? Allah Ta'ala forgave her. Subhanallah. وَلَا يُحَقَّرْ أَهْلُ الشَّقَاوَةِ فِي ظَاهِرِ الْأَحْوَالِ لَا يُحَقَّرْ أَهْلُ الشَّقَاوَةِ فِي ظَاهِرِ الْأَحْوَالِ إِذِ الْأَمْرُ مَنُوطٌ بِمُطْلَقِ الْقَضَاءِ فِي الْأَزَلِ وَإِنْ يُعْلَمَ أَنَّ مَا يَجْرِي فِي الْعَالَمِ مِنَ الْإِيمَانِ وَالْكُفْرِ وَالطَّاعَاتِ وَالسَّيِّئَاتِ مِنَ الْكُلِّيَاتِ وَالْجُزْئِيَاتِ بِتَقْدِيرِ اللَّهِ وَإِيجَادِهِ فِي عِبَادِهِ وَفْقَ مُرَادِهِ And everything that happens is all by the decree and the knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So subhanallah, what this actually reminds us and what this teaches us is never ever judge that a person could be doing the actions of the people of hell fire but Allah's mercy can overcome that person by good deed that they do or a person who is a kafir he says ashhadu alla ilaha illallah people that we know this is a very close friend of mine african american he told me that his mother 90 years old at her deathbed she recited the kalima 90 years old at her deathbed she said ashhadu alla ilaha illallah I mean, it's, it's, it's just, she said, oh, my son, I always knew that you are right. I always knew that you are right. But I'm ready now. Subhanallah. Can you, how could you judge that person? Say, oh, this kafir, this worthless person. How could we ever say such a thing where the mercy of Allah could be close to that person and we don't even know. And we could be on the deathbed and say, I don't believe in anything anymore. Islam didn't do anything for me. There's people who say it in their last stages. And we don't know. So this hadith teaches us. وَذَٰلِكَ مِنْ لُطْفِ اللَّهِ سُبْحَانُ وَسِيَعَةِ رَحْمَةِ فَإِنَّ إِنْقِلَابَ النَّاسِ مِنَ الشَّرِّ إِلَى الْخَيْرِ كَثِيرٌ وَأَمَّا إِنْقِلَابُهُمْ مِنَ الْخَيْرِ إِلَى الشَّرِّ فِي فِي غَايَةِ النُّدُورِ It can happen that people that are evil, they become good. This happens a lot. But people who are good and they live their entire life in righteousness and then they come off and they become kafir, this is very rare. A person will die the same way they lived. Inshallah, if a person lives with iman, they will die with iman. And this is regarding the hadith. وَلِلَّهِ الْحَمْدُ وَالْمِنَّ عَلَىٰ ذَلِكَ وَهُوَ نَحْوُ قَوْلِهِ سُبْحَانُ وَتَعَالَىٰ إِنَّ رَحْمَةِ سَبَقَتْ غَضَبِي My mercy encompasses my wrath. My mercy encompasses my wrath. That's the end of the hadith. فَيَعْمَلُ بِعَمَلِ أَهْلِ الْجَنَّةِ فَيَدْخُلُهَا رَوَاهُ الْبُخَارِ مُسْلِمِ May Allah Ta'ala give us tawfiq to understand what has been said. Inshallah, maybe a couple more uh, uh, points we mentioned about this hadith and then we continue to hadith number five. وَآخِرُ دَعْوَانَا الْحَمْدَ لِلْبِالْعَلَمِينَ سُبْحَانَهُ اللَّهُ مِحَمْدِكَ نَشْهَدُ وَاللَّهِ لَا تَنَس